Good morning. Are there any overcomers in the house today? All right. We've been going through this series last week. We kicked it off called Overcomer, kind of going through Romans chapter 8. And our theme verse, if you can put that up, is from Romans 8, 37 says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Someone say, more than conquerors. More than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. You know that? What does that phrase actually mean? If you go back to the Greek where it's written, and it says, to gain a surpassing victory. To gain a surpassing victory. Do you know that through Christ, crucified on the cross, you can gain a surpassing victory? That whatever it is that you are battling in your life, Jesus wants to be with you and help you be an overcomer. So what does that mean, again, to find that surpassing victory? Well, first, I think we have to ask, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? See, that question of our identity is, is, is life-altering, eternity-affecting. How do you describe yourself? How do you f- describe your identity? See, when you know who you are, you will know what to do. Once you know who you are, you'll know what to do. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write that down, that when you know who you are, you will know what to do. And so it's so important to discover our identity, that who we are in Christ And then that will determine what we do. How does your identity affect your destiny? See, the voices you believe are going to determine the future that you experience. The voices you believe, the voices from outside, people talking into your life, the voices you hear inside your head, inside your heart, the voices you believe will determine the future that you experience. The voices that you are listening to are going to determine the future that you experience. What voices are you listening to? I think so many of us, we have so many voices in our world, and we have to ask, what voices are we listening to? What I've discovered is that for guys, something happens to us when we get married, or else maybe when we have that first child, and all of a sudden, there's this little voice sitting on our shoulder, and I don't know anyone else can, can attest to this, that starts to whisper in your ear, just start to tell dad jokes. Anyone else? I don't know what it is. Like, you don't tell dad jokes as a single young man. Then you get married, and maybe you hear that voice a little bit, but there's something about having kids, and there's this voice like, yes, that's a cheesy joke. You need to say it. And you're like, I don't know, should I, should I not? And, and then, you know, the more you're a dad, the more you just love to make your kids groan, right? Can I get an amen? Oh, yeah, it's so good. Just the other day, we were fixing dinner, and Kristen's like, wow, you are in rare form. And I was like, yeah, that's right, dad jokes for the win. A couple years ago, we'd gotten a new vacuum cleaner, and, and Kristen was at home. I was at work. She was trying to use the vacuum, and she's having some frustrations with the vacuum. So she called me, and sometimes, wives, I think you do this, and actually Kristen admitted this, you call your husband, and you say something, and you kind of want to pick a fight. And yeah, because you're like, this would just be good so I can get all my anger out. And so Kristen calls me up at work. She's like, that new vacuum you bought, boy, does it suck. And I was like, oh, man, oh, man, like, this is the perfect place for a dad joke. Like, yes, it's supposed to suck. That's why I bought it, right? That's what a vacuum cleaner does. But I, I did actually resist the urge of that moment, and later we talked about it. She's like, I so badly wanted to yell at you for making a dad joke, and I... Uh, so I resisted the urge. And right then, I, I was able to listen, not listen to that voice and, and give in to the dad joke. But I think we all have these voices in our heads, and what are we listening to? I got to admit, sometimes it's not just the dad voice. Sometimes it's all fun and games, but honestly, there's times 
when the voice I hear is just saying, hey, just quit. Just give up. Anyone else experience that voice? I gotta be honest, as a dad, as a pastor, as a follower of Christ, I still hear that voice whispering, just give up. Last Sunday, we had a great service and I got done preaching and as a pastor, maybe you shouldn't be this vulnerable, but I'm gonna be, so here we go. I walked off stage and I went back there and I was like, Eric, that is literally the worst sermon you've ever preached in your life. Literally, the band is playing worship song, and I'm back there going, that's the last sermon you've ever preached. Just give up. And in that moment, I got to tell you, I was ready to be done. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the voices. I don't know if I bought this jacket and the Satan was like, okay, let's put that to the test. I was like, boy, I don't know. So this day, I'm going to punch Satan in the throat. Here we go. But I was literally like, I'm ready to give up. And like, on my phone, like job searching. Like that's, that's how, that's, that's the voice I was listening to last Sunday. Here in this place. I think we all have these voices that hit us. And, and what do we do when we hear those voices? Man, when, when, when I was planning and thinking about this series of this uh, this month, I was like, oh, this will be good. I had no idea that I'd be preaching so much to myself last week and this Sunday. And so what do we do when we hear these voices, when we just want to give up, when we struggle with these feelings of insecurities? And today, that's our topic. We're going to talk about how do we overcome these insecurities. Beth Moore was one, is one of my favorite Bible teachers, speakers. She's just feisty. She's amazing. And in her book, So Long, Insecurity, she writes this. We all have insecurities. They piggyback on their vulnerability inherent in our humanity. The question is whether or not our insecurities are substantial enough to hurt, limit, or even distract us from profound effectiveness or fulfillment of purpose. Are they cheating us of the powerful and abundant life Jesus fragrantly promised? Do they nip at our heels all the way from the driveway to the workplace? Scripture claims that believers in Christ are enormously gifted people. Are our insecurities snuffing the spirit until our gifts, for all practical purposes, are largely unproductive or at the very least tentative? I think so many times we see a weak and anemic church and Christ followers who are not stepping into their calling and using their spiritual gifts because we're listening to the voice of these insecurities. And they're snuffing out our spiritual courage. They're snuffing out our spiritual gifts. We're ready to walk off stage and give up. That is not what God wants for us. I battle insecurity. I think a lot of men battle insecurity about their work or feeling successful in their careers. For so many guys, our worth is tied up in our work. Our worth is tied up in our work. As guys, we want to provide a good life for our families. We want our parents and our father-in-laws, right, to think we're successful, to think that we're doing a good job. And so I think a lot of guys, we battle insecurity when it comes to our work. Is is my career advancing enough? How am I doing providing for my family? Can I be working harder? And then that leads us to feeling insecure about our family time. Are we spending too much time at work? And now we're being insecure as a dad. 
I think for a lot of women, you struggle with insecurity when it comes to your appearance. I read that the average woman has 13 negative thoughts every day about their bodies. 13 negative thoughts. I don't think most guys have 13 thoughts in a single day. And women, you have 13 thoughts about your body. I think they're constantly thinking about your parents and women are constantly comparing themselves to each other. I think moms battle insecurity and wonder if they're a good enough mom. Dads, not so much. We're just happy we kept the kids alive, amen? But many of us battle insecurity when it comes to how we look, what we do, what we have or own, or what people think of us. So how do we start to overcome these insecurities? That's what I want to look at today. What I want you to understand is that we're not just going to look at this from a pop psychology point of view, but we're actually going to look at God's word and see what does God say at this. This isn't just the power of positive thinking. In fact, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, that I can't change my thinking based on what I feel. But I can change my thinking based on what God's word says. We can't just change our thinking, our insecurities, by by trying hard to have a more positive mindset just by how we feel. We have to change our thinking based on the truth of what God's word says. Romans 8 is our theme chapter for this month. We're going to look at a couple different verses, but I'd encourage you this month to read the whole chapter Maybe daily. It's one of my favorite verses or chapters in all of scripture. And we're gonna be looking at just a couple of verses and pulling this out and say, how do we overcome insecurity? First, we're gonna look at Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation, no condemnation. The number one way we can overcome our insecurities We can move from an insecurity to being secure in God, but to know that our sins are forgiven and our eternity is secure. Psychologists tell us that one of our core needs as people is this feeling of certainty, of being secure. That if if life is feeling very uncertain, our our core need is not going to be met, and then we're going to use unhealthy ways of trying to get that feeling of of, of security or certainty. But we can know that we're secure in Christ because our sins are forgiven and our eternity is secure. For who? Well, not everyone, but those who are in Christ Jesus. For those of you who called on Jesus, who have been made new in Christ, your sins are forgiven and your eternity is secure. He was risen from the dead so that we could be made new. Not just changing our minds, but actually becoming new. And we can have this sense of security and being grounded when we remind ourselves that our sins are forgiven and our eternity is secure. Go back to that Bible verse. What is at the end of here? It's a period. (laughs) Not a comma. Maybe you're like, duh, Eric, it's a period. This is the end of the sentence. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. It's not comma and then work really hard comma, and go to church every Sunday, comma, read your Bibles every day, and if you don't, there's a little condemnation. No, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, period, the end, it's done. There's no condemnation. And when we grasp that, we can feel secure in our place with God because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. In Christ, you're not condemned, you're forgiven. In Christ, you're not dirty, you're, you're clean. See, I think condemnation is the root of what makes so many believers struggle in their faith. 
we, we struggle with a sense of feeling condemnation. See, the enemy, Satan, he's a liar. And what he does is lie. And he brings accusations against us. And accusations bring fear, and fear produces chaos in our lives as we try to fight insecurity by what we do or what we own or how we look or focusing on what others think of us. But we defeat the enemy's lies by knowing who we are in Christ Jesus and by declaring that we are God's righteousness, his precious possession. We have been adopted into his family. We have been forgiven. There is no condemnation. And in Christ, you are holy. In Christ, you're His perfection is your perfection. In Christ, you are blameless. This frees us up to live out the righteousness of Christ, to live for the glory of Jesus. This is different than just religion. This is knowing that there's no condemnation. We are forgiven and secure so we can live the life that Christ has for us. Second thing we see, jump to Romans 8, 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. To set their mind on the spirit is life and peace. If you're taking notes, you can write this down, that my mind is filled with the peace of God. When we set our minds on the spirit, my mind becomes filled with the peace of God. I can overcome my feelings of insecurity because my mind is filled with the peace of God. To those of you who have bowed the knee to Jesus, made him the leader of your life, you don't have to live with those feelings of insecurity and wonder if you're good enough your minds can be renewed by setting your mind on the spirit. Some of you know exactly what this is like as you've had friends go through experiences where they have a child in the hospital or they've been jobless or whatever comes their way. And you ask them, how can you be so secure? How can you be so calm in the face of all this uncertainty? And it's the supernatural peace guiding their lives. They'll say, there's no natural reason why I can be so calm in the face of all this uncertainty. But the peace of Christ guides our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. If you are longing for that kind of peace and you've not bowed the knee to Jesus, Jesus invites you to come. You can experience forgiveness of your sins, that the shame and the guilt can be washed away that those feelings of, am I good enough, that you can know that you are secure in Christ. And as you set your mind on the spirit, that it leads to life and peace as it guards your heart. In Romans 8.31, Paul writes this, that what then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for me, who can be against me? I cannot overcome my insecurities because I know that God is for me. Psychologists tell us another one of, of people's core needs is this feeling of significance. Does my life matter? Am I just a speck of dust floating in the cosmos because we've evolved here as a people and now if I live and die, does it matter? No. You are God's precious child. You were created for a purpose. And God is for you. God is with you. So who can be against you? Some of you go, I I have some people who are against me right now. I have some enemies. But if God approves of you, does it really matter who's taking shots at you? If God is on your side, you can rest in that knowledge that, that you have significance. That if God called you to it, he will prepare a way for it. If my heavenly father is for me, who can be against me? 
God says that all things are possible with him. I'm optimistic and I believe the best is yet to come because I know that God is with me, that God is for me, that he has plans to bless me, to prosper me, not to harm me, to give me a hope and a future. And God has plans to bless you, to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future because God is with you. We can have this sense of significance because God is with us. He's partnering with us to accomplish what he wants for our lives. Each and every one of us has been called for a reason and a purpose. You are here on earth for a purpose, for a reason. And God is with you. Verse 37, Paul writes this, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What an amazing truth. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of of God. Psychologists tell us that another one of our core needs as humans is to feel connection and to feel love. You'll never have a fulfilled, happy life if you don't have a sense of connection, if you don't feel loved. Maybe, maybe your marriage is struggling because you don't feel that connection, you don't feel that sense of love. Maybe you don't have friendships and you aren't feeling that kind of love. And so we listen to these voices of insecurity and we, and we try to make ourselves feel better by these other things, but we can overcome anxiety when we realize and believe deep down in our bones that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I hope there's someone here that you will truly feel that today, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. No matter where you go, our God is there. No matter what you do, our God still loves you. No matter what happens in your life, our God is still for you. You can't outrun his love. You can't do something to stop him from loving you. You cannot run away from his presence. He will chase you down. When you try to run run away from God, you realize that he's already there when you get there. In fact, maybe some of you, you've been arguing with yourself and you've been trying to to run away from God. Maybe the reason you're even here today is because you felt something pulling you. And I hope you know that God has not given up on you yet. You might be here because someone is praying for you right now. Don't give up. And I'm preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching to you. Even when it's hard, even when you battle those feelings of insecurity, even when you you compare yourselves to others, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And when we, we truly believe that, that we are loved, that we are accepted, that we are known that grounds us, and we don't have to seek after these dysfunctional ways of finding connection, of finding love, through proving ourselves by what we do or what we own or how we look. We can overcome our insecurity because our sins have been forgiven and our eternity is secure. We can overcome our insecurity when we set our minds on the Spirit of God, when we invite God's peace to Guard our hearts and minds. We can overcome anxiety because God is for us. 
Therefore, who can be against us? We can overcome our insecurities because nothing, nothing will separate us from the love of God. So some practical next steps. It's good to, to know these truths, but then what do you do with them? And so here's what, what, what my hope for you. Here's what I'd like you to do. Number one is to be honest about your struggle. Be honest about your struggle. See, honesty is freeing. Everyone struggles with something. The sooner you admit it, the sooner you can begin to overcome it. I have a pastor friend. He likes to say a lot that, that dark things grow in the dark, that sin will continue to grow with these feelings of insecurity and anxiety and hopelessness. But when you drag it into the light, those things begin to lose power. And so be honest about your struggles. I meet with a couple different groups of pastors. On Wednesday of this week, I met with Pastor Ben from Northridge Church and Josh from Imagine Church. And we just got together and we just read some scripture and prayed for each other. And I was able to be honest with them, just saying, hey, on Sunday, I walked off and I was just ready to give up. And have you ever been there? And them saying, yes, you are not alone in this. And we were able to just speak truth into each other to pray over each other, to share some scriptures. But that all started with me being honest, with not trying to be perfect. I don't encourage you to do the same thing. Be honest about your struggles. Do you have people in your lives that you can be honest with? Here at Mosaic, we hope that's maybe a small group, a group of people in your lives that you can be honest about your struggles with. Maybe it's someone you have breakfast with or, or lunch with on, a, on you know, a monthly basis or something. But we all need people in our lives that we can be honest about our struggles. Because when we keep it inside, it just goes into the darkness and, and those dark things grow in the darkness. But said to bring it into light and, and when we're honest about our struggles, that's when God's power can come in and, and really start to, to work in our lives. If you're in a small group, I want to encourage you, get past the superficial. People, they're not going to judge you. I promise you. Share your junk that's going on in your life. Share your struggles. It's okay to share, hey, I was ready to give up. Hey, if you are, if you are dealing with suicidal thoughts and you are thinking of ending your life, please, please, please be honest about that. Man, I hope the church, I hope small groups, I hope that's a safe place you can do that so that you can find hope, you can find healing. If you're struggling with that kind of, those feelings, man, don't struggle alone. We need to be honest about our struggles. Second thing is to load up on God's truth, to load up on God's truth. What happens when we load up on God's truth? It begins to shrink my insecurities. It's so important to read and then memorize God's word. Here's the deal. We, like, never memorize anything anymore, right? How many of you still remember, like, maybe your childhood phone number or your best friend's phone number? How many of you could tell me, like, your wife's phone number or maybe one of your closest friends now their phone number? How many of you know my phone number by, by memory? By memory? One, yeah, my wife, yeah. We don't memorize things anymore. The only two phone numbers I know are my wife's and, and mine. I don't even know my mom's phone number by heart. We just don't memorize things. That's, that's the beauty of having these pocket computers at all times. That we have access to everything. We don't have to memorize facts anymore because of Google and all these things. But 
when we do the hard work of memorizing scripture, and it's hard, we're not used to this anymore. It really does something to our hearts and our minds and our souls. And I would encourage you to memorize scripture, to read it, to load up on it. Something I did years ago was I wanted to memorize James 1. And so I just copied it down in note cards when I was at the gym, on the treadmill or elliptical machine or whatever it might be. I just had those note cards sitting there in front of me. I just read it again and again and again. And that was 15 years ago. And still to this day, a lot of times for sound checks, I'll be James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ of the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its works. You may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives graciously to all without finding fault. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because when he doubts, he's like a wave of the sea, blown and passed by the wind. That man should not expect to receive anything. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That was 15 years ago that I sat down and did the work to memorize that. And I wish I had a lot more sections of scripture. I have verses, but not big chunks like that. Honestly, a whole lot. Something I want to grow in. I encourage you that when you have those truths, that God brings those to mind. That when the testing of your faith develops perseverance. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. All right, I'm being tested. This is developing perseverance. And the Holy Spirit can more easily bring those scriptures to mind when we're loading up on God's truth. Find a way to do that. Maybe it's note cards, you know, while you're working out or in the morning or you put up on your bathroom mirror. Start with one Bible verse. And, and choose to remember that. Maybe as a small group, maybe as, as, as a husband and wife or with your kids, or, hey, we're, we're going to memorize this verse. You know, our kind of theme verse for our series that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, that'd be a great verse. Romans 8.37 to memorize, personally or as a family. You know, uh, try reading Romans 8 every single day just as you load up in God's truth, as you let it wash over you. And here's the thing, too, about, about reading God's word. There's lots of different ways to do it. I encourage people to, to let it wash over you sometimes. I love the Bible app, and sometimes I'll just turn on one of the speakers. I prefer the ESV. Uh, I like his narration voice more than some of the other versions. But you can just, you know, maybe on your commute, you're just going to hit play. And you're like, I'm just going to listen to the, the whole book of Colossians on the way into work. And I'm just going to let this reader read it over me as I listen to it. As, as, and, and you're not studying it. You're not, you're not trying to, to get every single word, but you're just letting God's word wash over you. Then there's times where you want to take one Bible verse. You, you know, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its works. So you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And, and you're just going to think on that one verse. You're going to journal. What does not lacking anything mean? What does developing perseverance mean in my life? It's maybe you want to, there's great online options. Uh, one of my favorites is blueletterbible.com. You can type in any verse. You can get uh, the original uh, languages that Scripture is written in and, and find out where it was in, in other parts of Scripture. You can see, what does this word exactly mean? Are there other contexts? So I encourage you, as you load up on God's truth, memorize God's word, then the Holy Spirit can bring those back to mind. Listen to the word of God being read. That's how most people, most Christ followers uh, experience God's words for at least the first 1,600 years was they would gather together and God's word would be read and they'd listen to it. Take a verse and just study it, meditate it, 
journal on it. Some of you, I know Becca does this, you might want to draw over a scripture and you're, and, you're, and you're interacting with God's word in that way. There's so many ways to interact with God's word. Hey, if ESV version for you is like, ah, oh, my eyes go cross-eyed, read the NLT. Uh, if, if you're like, man, I, I just want to read big chunks of scripture and get the big ideas, read the message version. It's a paraphrase, so you don't want to like study every word on that, but to get the big ideas, the message is great. You know, if the NIV or the King James Version is the version you like, awesome. Read that version, whatever version that you like to read, that you like to memorize in. Get in God's word. Load up on God's truth. Number three, find your blue shirt. Find your blue shirt. What does that mean? I shared this story one other time. But I love this so much. There was a guy running in Grandma's Marathon. And as he was running, he was going really strong until he hit mile 17. And as he hit mile 17, he's like, I just can't finish this anymore. Like, I can't finish the marathon. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so this guy in a blue shirt passed him. He's like, you know, I'm just going to focus on his blue shirt. And, just, and that's going to be like, kind of like my pace car. And so he followed the blue shirt through the rest of the marathon. And they finally crossed. And he had a great time, three hours and 15 minutes. And he qualified because he wanted to do another marathon. And he was so excited. And he yelled out, hey, blue shirt, thanks for carrying me for those last eight miles. And the guy turned around and he's like, what? No way. He's like, because you carried me from mile 11 to mile 17. And I love that because we all need a blue shirt in front of us that is pulling us along, that that we're helping carry us. But then to understand there are people behind us who who are watching us. And you don't know the impact that you're having. Who is your blue shirt? Who is someone who's further ahead, maybe in parenting, in finances, in your faith? And it's not gonna be just one person that's gonna be a mentor in all those areas. Do you have a blue shirt in your marriage? Do you have a blue shirt in your parenting? Do you have a blue shirt in your finances, in your business life, in your faith, in your spiritual walk? If you're coming up blank, man, there's, and you're, there's no one in my life that is further ahead, that is pulling me along this week, Think about that and say, man, who, who is that blue shirt that I'm going to be inspired by, that I'm going to follow after? And then who are you being a blue shirt to? Who is being inspired by you? Who is that you are leading the way and say, hey, follow my examples. I follow Christ Jesus. We have about 50 kids back there every week. And those kids need blue shirts back there. Literally, they wear blue shirts. But they need people in their lives. Our teenagers need people in their lives who are pulling them along. We're saying, come on. I'm going before you can follow me. I can be a good example. A couple of my pastor friends, what some things they've been doing lately, I love this so much, is that they've been getting like middle school boys together. And uh, they've been going through God's word, but also every week, they, they, do, they have different guys in the church teaching them Life skills. And so last week, my friend, uh, down in Farmington, they had the junior high boys together, studied God's word, and then they all learned how to tie a tie. And then they all learned how to change the oil on a car. And then next week, they'll do something else. And it, that's phenomenal. I love that. that they're learning scriptural truths, but then guys and boys, especially junior high and high school, they're so tactile. They, they're flighty. But men in the church are like, hey, we're going to teach them how to tie a tie. We're going to teach them how to sit down and, and, and have a job interview. We're going to sit down. We're going to teach them how to shake hands properly. 
We're gonna teach him how to address, you know, when you, when you date a girl. Hey, you know, Mr. Johnson, how are you doing? Whatever it might be. There's a way that you can be a blue shirt to someone. Maybe it's a kid, maybe it's a teenager, maybe it's just someone else that you know. Maybe it's a neighbor or a coworker. That you can be an example to. We all need that blue shirt in front of us and we need that behind us. Someone to, to inspire us and pull us forward and someone that we can be an example to and pull us along. Beth Moore, in her book, the last quote I want to read, she says this. As long as we live, our self-absorption and our insecurity will walk together, holding hands and swinging them back and forth like two little girls on their way to a pretend playground they can never find. Human nature dictates that most often we will be as insecure as we are self-absorbed. The best possible way to keep from getting sucked into the superficial narcissistic mentality that money, possessions, and sensuality can satisfy us is to deliberately give ourselves to something much greater. Deliberately give ourselves to something much greater. Christ showed us that giving rather than getting is the means to receiving. To find yourself your true self, you must lose yourself in something larger. To find yourself, your true self, to overcome insecurity, you must lose yourself in something larger. You must lose yourself to something larger. What are you living for in your life that is bigger than you? If your life is all about you and just your small family, that's not a big enough purpose. What is it that causes a holy discontent in your heart that when you hear that thing, you say, not on my watch. I'm gonna make a difference. Maybe it's single moms and the challenges they have. Maybe it's boys who don't have a great father example. Maybe it's marriages who are being ripped apart. Maybe it's people struggling with mental illness and anxiety and are ready to end their lives. Maybe it's being the hands and feet of Christ by feeding people and giving backpacks to kids and shoes. What is that thing? I think we all have that thing. What are you living for? You must lose yourself in something larger. Once we know who we are, we will know what to do. Once we understand our identity shaped in Christ, we'll understand the purpose that God has for us. What is that thing for you? For me, I know it's to plant churches, to invest in men, to help people who are lost be found in Jesus. And as hard as it is, that I know that's why I'm here. Why are you here? What is that thing that burns inside of you? And when you read the news stories about that thing, you just get so sad and broken. You say, not on my watch. If we want to get out of our own heads and, and, and overcome these feelings of insecurity and, and stop comparing ourselves to others and defining ourselves by what we do or what we own or how we look or what others think of us, we have to live for something greater. We have to live for a bigger cause. Church, that's why we're here. We're here to make a difference, to find our purpose, to help people know God. 
What part are you playing in that? We need more people to partner with us as, as a church so we can do what God called us to do. How is God using you in your life right now? Would you join me in prayer? I'm gonna invite the worship band to come up. God, I thank you that we can overcome these voices that we listen to that tells us that we're not enough, that tells us to give up as we understand who we are in Christ, that our eternity is secure, that our sins have been forgiven, as we set our minds on the spirit and your peace guards our hearts, that we understand that you are for us and not against us and that nothing, nothing can separate us from your love. God, I pray that each and every one of us, we just know those truths deep down into our bones. God, that then you would reveal to us why we are here, that we would live for something greater, something bigger, that we would make a difference, that we would know our purpose. And God, that we would help people far from you to find you, to know you, so that they too could experience the grace that we've experienced. Thank you, Jesus, that you are here. Thank you that you love us and that we can be overcomers because we're more than conquerors through you. In your name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me? We've got two more weeks in this series and I'm just excited to see what God's gonna do. Imagine if each and every one of us we understood who our identity was in Christ. We all lived for something greater, and we made a difference. Imagine what a difference that can make in our homes, in our communities, in our schools. We're going to invite the ushers to come forward. We're going to receive an offering as we go out of our singing. We're going to sing just one more worship song. As we just thank God for who he is. And we want to say thank you for giving. You can give online anytime. You can give right now as we, as we pass the buckets. You know, if you have a connection card, I know we're short today. You can drop those off. Or like Josh said, you can uh, check in online anytime. But may you know that you can be an overcomer through Christ and that nothing, nothing, nothing will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's go out of first singing.